You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. When I was in uni, I just wanted to travel as much as possible. So I was working at the cafe on campus in between classes. I was coaching netball and basketball and babysitting. And one weekend, I was babysitting a girl called Soph whilst her parents were interstate. And Soph's your typical 12-year-old. She wants to stay up late and wake up late. But on this Saturday morning, I was coaching a netball team out at Moore Park. So I was hustling Soph. I'm like, Soph, you've got to get out of bed. Got to get out of bed. And get changed now. Don't worry about a shower. Come on, come on, come on. Get some breakfast. Don't worry about breakfast. We'll take it in the car. And by the time we got on the road, we were already running late. And of course, Saturday, Sydney morning traffic didn't help. I don't know if you're familiar with Moore Park, but there's not a lot of uh, parking spots near the courts and certainly not free ones. So we're doing the laps and at this point I've missed warming up my team. And uh, suddenly I struck gold. I, I saw a coach's only spot. So snagged that, Soph and I were sprinting to the courts and we get there just in time for the buzzer. And on the way back to the car, you know that moment when you're just fervently praying that that little note on your windshield is an advertisement and not a parking fine. Well, I picked it up and I scanned the $263 fine for parking in a coach's only spot. And for half a second, I was enraged. I thought, but I am a coach. And then I stepped back and I saw the size of the parking spot that I was in and that it was a bus coach and that my weekend babysitting money would not be going to my travel fund. Sometimes life lessons can be expensive, but uh, there are plenty of free lessons that God gives us in the Bible. And today we're going to learn a few from a famous passage, the Sunday school passage that everybody knows, the feeding of the 5,000. But what you might not know is that it occurs in all the Gospels. Other than Jesus' death and resurrection, this is the only miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include in their accounts. And I can't tell you why exactly, other than I think there's just a lot of lessons in there that God really didn't want us to miss. And the one that I want to focus on today is that God is a God who provides. When we turn to him in his way and on his timeline... But before we dive in, though, I just want to give you some context, because if you're like me, you're sometimes just half listening to the Bible reading, thinking about all the things you need to do by the end of the weekend, or maybe you're one of the uh, people that I pressured into coming here to support me today, and you're not really sure what's happened before this passage. So by way of background, the Gospel of Mark, it begins with John the Baptist, and he's actually Jesus's cousin, fun fact, and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Loads are coming from Judea and Jerusalem, and Jesus is one of them who comes to be baptized. Jesus then goes on and he begins his early ministry in a region of Israel called Galilee, and he calls his disciples. He begins teaching about things like Sabbath and fasting and loving your enemies, and he begins performing miracles like healing lepers and calming storms. He appoints apostles and he sends them out in pairs to uh, preach in neighboring districts. But there's friction with the government of the day, and King Herod beheads John the Baptist. The disciples, they take John's body, they lay it in a tomb, and this is where our passage begins. And look at the apostles in verse 30. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus 
and reported to him all they had done and taught. They've just been out preaching to the towns and healing the sick. They haven't done it in luxury or to packed out stadiums. They've walked in the Middle Eastern heat from town to town, and some towns accepted them, but others rejected them. They would have been physically and emotionally exhausted. I, I used to do beach mission, and you know those 10 days were amazing, but at the end, I was so tired, physically, spiritually, mentally. And what's more, the apostles have just heard that their good friend John has been killed. Not only that, he's been beheaded by the king for speaking the truth. And where do the apostles turn? To Jesus. They don't make plans for revenge. They don't go out on some bender or sit at home feeling depressed, binging on Netflix or whatever the equivalent was in those days. They go to Jesus and he says to them, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and rest. In the middle of the emotional turmoil, Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a quiet place, or in some translations, to a solitary place, and rest a while. We need to hear his words, Harborside. I don't know if you feel overwhelmed, or in my opinion, sometimes even worse, underwhelmed by life at the moment. But you can find rest in your soul when you spend time with Jesus. I had a lot of conversations with people about my anxiety over preaching today. Tell you what, if you need a word of encouragement, Janice is your girl. I came to Dave three times to get out of this, and three times she encouraged me back into it. <laughs> but the best sense of peace I had about the whole thing was when I spoke and prayed to God about it. Then he gave me this supernatural sense of calm about his purpose through it all. We're so blessed to live in this city and in this time in history, but it's no wonder we get distracted and we find it hard to hear God's voice when we're constantly plugged into our phones and emails and scanning news feeds and Instagram and we're working long hours in the office and we're trying to tick off these never-ending to-do lists at home. But listen to the words of Jesus to his disciples. Come away by yourselves to a solitary place and rest a while. He's giving us permission to take time out, to stop running the rat race because he doesn't care about our to-do lists and he's not impressed by our achievements. He just wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to spend time in a quiet place, the kind of place where we can meditate, be still and encounter God. Maybe that's your kitchen table before the household wakes up. That's when my husband likes to do his devotions. Or maybe out walking, just praying, bringing your thoughts, your heartaches, your excitements before God. Maybe you like to feel close when you're immersed in creation, going to the beach or driving to a lookout. That's where you like to maybe pray and listen to God through his Bible, through the Bible, sorry, where he speaks to us. I know it can be really hard to prioritize this time. Believe me, I have um, next weekend, I, next week I return to full-time work after having 12 months of maternity leave. And it's not like it's been a holiday or anything, but I do know it's the least busy I'll ever be. And yet I've struggled to regularly find physical and mental space in a day to have a quiet time or even a loud time with God. To be honest, part of why I actually said yes to preaching today was to have accountability, to prioritize time studying God's word, because I believe that that's important. Because finding rest 
In Jesus, it's, it's different to the rejuvenation that we get from other self-care activities. No Friday night out with your friends, no special day night, not even a full night's sleep can really quench that part of you that is physically and emotionally exhausted. I feel like I'm still learning this as a new mum. Most days I'm like 90% coffee, 10% dry shampoo. But I can, I can eat all the kale and I can drink double shots and I can get all the endorphins from working out, enjoy massages, take holidays and trash all that doesn't spark joy. But if I don't regularly rest my soul in Jesus by talking and listening to him, my heart, my soul, my mind, it never feels at ease. Because God gives us a new strength and perspective when we spend time with him, aligning our will to his. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 33, so they, that is Jesus and the disciples, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of him. They ran from towns and got there ahead of him. They beat Jesus in a boat. I know it wasn't a speedboat, but that's still impressive. These locals would have been running in old school Birkenstocks, probably more likely barefoot. They, they didn't have advanced sweat, whipping, sweat wicking fabric. You know, they would have been in full head to toe dress wear. And they ran and ran and probably chafed and they beat Jesus in a boat. Why? Because when news of this guy spread who could calm storms and heal lepers, they couldn't just watch the highlights on the 6 p.m. news or YouTube. They had to run and see him in person and hear if what he was saying, if what the rumors were saying were true. And though he's tired and grieving, Jesus is filled with compassion for the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But can you imagine on the heels of the news of the death of John, the disciples, they would have just wanted to get away and regroup. I mean, they are no doubt absolutely confused by this turn of events and probably just after a bit of quality time with Jesus. On most days, it's not, not a big deal for me to jump in and help wherever and whenever needed. But if I'm being totally honest, I... I only really like serving God and other people when I had time to mentally prepare for it. And I reckon that's how the disciples may have been feeling right here. You know, they're met by this crowd, a group of strangers who, who want to see if the rumors are true, but that's not what they would have been in the mood for. God's timing is perfect even when it seems inconvenient. A few years back, Back, an American investment banker called George Keith. He was driving through Central Park one night and the transmission of his new BMW, it got stuck in first gear. So he took it to the mechanics the next morning and it should have just been a five minute fix, but until someone could do the job, it, he was, it, it had taken over an hour. By now he was running late for his important meeting that was meant to take place on the 79th floor of the World Trade Center. I, Yes, as you can imagine, within the hour, George would realize that what he perceived as this inconvenience with his brand new car was actually a life-saving blessing in disguise. Now, that's an extreme example, but God, he gives us opportunities, often when it seems inconvenient. He gives us these moments to grow or to love or to witness when we're tired 
when we're in a bad mood, when we feel empty. He shows up in times of shortage to see, hey, do you trust me? Are you leaning on me for your strength? Do you care about heavenly things that have eternal impact? Or are you so focused on this world? Are you leaning on your own strength? Do you, are you too exhausted to care? Sometimes we need an attitude adjustment to realize that the inconvenience is actually an opportunity. I know I often arrive to church and if it's been, you know, lots of quality time with my one-year-old through the night, um, I just want to talk to the people that I'm already friends with, you know, because that's easy. That's, that's about all I have energy for. But Jesus reminds me here that I need to be open to opportunity, to caring for others, even when I don't feel like it. I bet the band and the sound team, they don't always feel like getting up at, you know, 8 a.m. or to be here at 8 a.m. to practice every Sunday morning, but they do it out of love for us, out of faithfulness to the gifts that God has blessed them with. The disciples, they followed Jesus because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to spend their short time here on earth on eternal things. And now here comes this chance to help people know God, and they're apathetic, they're tired. They, they don't feel like it. They just, want us, they just want Jesus to send the crowds away. But if they had sent the crowds away, not only would the following miracle have not occurred, but they wouldn't have had lunch. I'll tell you how I know that. Because in the other accounts of this picnic miracle, because remember it's recorded in all four Gospels, we learn that it was a little boy's lunch that ended up feeding the masses. Not Peter's. Peter didn't pack his sandwich that day. The very provision was in the inconvenience. It was what they wanted to go away that was carrying what they needed, that they signed up for in the first place. I signed up to be part of a church plant. I want to see the people of Mossman and beyond come to know God. But if I'm honest, it's been almost a year since I did any prayer walking. I haven't taken a moment to pray or think about who I could invite to the next Alpha course. And yet, these are the things that I believe are important and are worthwhile and have eternal impact. Sometimes it's the inconvenience that we need to prioritize most. In verse 34, it says, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I can't help but feel that perhaps the crowd were a little disappointed here, like felt a little ripped off. They'd just run a half marathon in the Middle Eastern heat, and they just want to see this man they'd heard so much about, and they were probably thinking, oh, we'll get to see him heal someone, or maybe he'll talk to the clouds and change the weather, or perform an exorcism, and, and they got teaching. You know, sometimes we come to Jesus like the crowds did. We, we come with all our dreams, all our ambitions, all our problems that we want him to fix. We come to him and wonder what he can do for us, not because of who he is. It's the first stage of following Christ, and it's what my relationship looked like in the beginning, following him because of what he could do for me. But I'm learning if you progress with him long enough, your question changes from what he can do for you to what he can do through you. And so, like the crowds, we come to Jesus and we come to church, but we shouldn't necessarily expect that there'll always be miracles and people healed. And though those things may happen, 
The reason why we shouldn't necessarily expect this is because in this passage, we see that Jesus knows that our physical needs are important, but our true needs are our spiritual needs. In his compassion, he provides for the crowd in two ways. Firstly, he meets their spiritual need. That's the priority. And then he meets their physical need. Firstly, he teaches them. And then he performs a miracle and feeds them. Our true need is to hear about the kingdom of God. The crowds, they got it straight from Jesus' lips. You and I, we get it from the Bible. In verse 35, it says, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go get something to eat. I can just imagine the disciples, they're growing fairly agitated here. They're hungry, they're tired, and they thought that they were going to have the day with Jesus. They would have been thinking, we've got to get this crowd away so we can have some one-on-one time. So they point out to Jesus, this is a desolate place, God. There's no deliverer here, there's no Uber Eats. It's probably a good idea if you sent them to the, crowd, to the towns to get something to eat. But Jesus says straight back at them, you give them something to eat. Well, the disciples replied, hey, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Like, fair enough. Where are we going to get that kind of money, Lord? We've just come back from that missionary trip that you sent us out where we were preaching and, and healing, but we weren't charging people for that. So I don't know what you expect us to do here, but we can't feed these people, Lord. It's a rational answer. But it's like they have amnesia. They've completely forgotten the things that they've witnessed Jesus do and even the things that he's been doing through them. They should have said, yeah, okay, Jesus, you you are Lord of everything. You created everything. By your power, you sustain everything. In fact, just a week ago, I was healing people and performing exorcisms in your name. And a couple of months ago, I watched you calm a raging storm. Yeah, Lord. I'll feed the 5,000, just show me how. It's a sort of rational statement they make. Sorry, Jesus, it's not possible that the disciples were good at making and that we are too. The rational reason was they had no money, but the real reason was that they just didn't believe that Jesus could do something. And as Christians, we want to stop hiding behind rational reasons, and we want to look at the real reason as to why we don't trust God. Because when he says, go feed them, the apostles shrink back. But when he tells us to declare the gospel to Mossman and beyond and to all the nations, we too shrink back. I mean, so often I've decided not to invite a friend or a family member to a church event because they're never going to say yes. I decide for them. What does that say about my trust in who God is and how he can reveal himself to the people, the people that he made, the people that he loves? What are you struggling to trust God with? That thing that you're ignoring his voice on or that you're too busy to hear his voice? Are you working so hard to make ends meet, missing out on time with your family because you don't trust that God's going to provide enough? Are you holding off being generous and hospitable because you're so worried about finances? 
Are you holding off joining a small group and sinking your teeth into to the word and knowing more about God's incredible love and purpose for you because you're scared that he's going to put you in this unfamiliar environment, people that you don't know? Are you refusing to forgive someone, a colleague, a friend, a spouse, because it's too hard work and you don't believe that God can reconcile you? Or are you doubting God's goodness whilst you wait for the provision of something important, a partner, a child? We want what is peaceful and comfortable and easy, but God doesn't always call us to this. Our actions always reflect our faith in who God is and what we believe he's capable of. I don't know what God is trying to get you to trust him on at the moment, but beware the voice of calculation, of rationality. It's often louder than the voice of faith, and it will stop you from seeing what God can do through you. Believe me, I had a lot of internal voices telling me not to preach today, and I'm so glad that God's voice did cut through. So sometimes we need a reminder that Jesus is all-powerful and we can trust him. Amongst the crowd, there were only five loaves and two fish. This blows my mind because I'm believing that, well, I'm starting to learn that 90% of parenting is all about just having snacks at all times. But there you have it. There's five loaves of bread and two fish among the 5,000. The apostles, they collect it up, bring it to Jesus who looks up to heaven, says a blessing, and gives the loaves to the disciples to set before the people. And verse 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied. What's more, there were 12 baskets of fish and bread left over, more than what they started with. This was feeding a massive crowd of people who had run and who had been listening all day to Jesus' teaching, and they would have been starving. And yet, they all ate and were all satisfied. I'll invite the band to come up as I finish. Friends, God provides spiritually because it's our greatest need and then physically. Sometimes the timing, it may seem inconvenient to you, but he is faithful always in his way and on his timeline. I don't know what you're up against right now, but there may be a spiritual lesson that God needs to teach you before he meets your physical need. I don't know. But that can be hard because our physical circumstances, they can cause us to doubt. They can distance us from God, believing in his goodness and his faithfulness. But they can also be this incredible opportunity to experience his love and his great power and purpose when we take these things to him, when we talk to him and ask him for help. The bread and the fish in the little boy's hands, they were nothing exceptional. But in God's hands, they fed the masses. What's in your hands right now that you need to place in his hands? Can I encourage you, just as the apostles did right in the beginning, to turn to Jesus, to go to a solitary place, a quiet place, and chat to him? Ask him to reveal a spiritual lesson that you need to learn. And then ask him to take the metaphorical fish and bread that are in your hands and to do something miraculous with them.